I want to, you know, like I went through a phase where I'm like, you know, I'm ready just to consult or I'm ready to move in a different direction, you know, but I'm my own worst enemy, you know, like I love, you know, like I no longer do drugs and drink, but I'll never be able to give up my addiction for the restaurant business. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Atlanta Foodcast. Stories. You know, I'm finding out that they're absolutely what I live for here on this show. It's always far more than just about hearing the verbatim from a well-known chef or a persona. It's always about the real thing. Something that gives you way more than just where someone has been and what they've done. It produces a genuine connection to who they are at their core. Which brings us to this episode, and Chef Ron Eister needs no introduction. His restaurants, some that have since passed, have defined a large portion of the dining scene here in Atlanta, and this guy has been all over, done more things than you can imagine, celebrated, overcome, triumphed, and has an incredible homecoming story to share with everyone. Now, we get into all of that in this week's episode, which has some length, mind you, so get cozy for an episode filled with multiple tales throughout Chef Ron's life. It's an honor to know this man and all of the things that he has has done. And also, this one has some language throughout, so please keep that in mind if you have little ears listening to this show. But next up, here's my conversation with Chef Ron Eister of Food 101. But yeah, you know, like just uh, to, to kind of you know, just start things off, I mean... You know, like it's fun because I really love doing like the introduction part. So it's really fun to say like who I have on the other side of the microphone. But <laughs> you don't need any introduction. Man. But <laughs> I appreciate yeah, that, That's Chef <laughs> Ron Eister. It is so great to have you on the show. Yeah, right it's now. great seeing you. Thanks yeah. so much for thinking of me and uh, having me on the podcast. I'm yeah. eager to chat. Well, it's been a few years since I've seen you, actually. Yeah, I mean, probably at least two, if not closer to three. Yeah, I was gonna so. say, and a lot's happened since then. Oh, like, sh- yeah, it sure has. Yeah, so <laughs> for better or for worse. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's good though. I mean, it's 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 history. It's, it's it's, you know, it's all part of life. Oh, yeah. But, um, Live and learn. Absolutely. And uh, just take each day as it comes and, uh, you know, try to make yourself better and, yeah. uh, you know, forward pro- forward progress. Yeah, for sure. And we're sitting in a really cool room. I've actually never been back here. This is like the private dining room of yep, this Food is 101. The, this is the private dining room of Food 101, the original Food 101. And, uh, you know, I've been here 18 years now, which, Man. you know, in the restaurant in restaurant years yeah. is a lifetime. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we've actually been doing some minor renovations of the back room and some other areas of the restaurant, you know, being 18 years old and yeah being in a restaurant it takes a lot of wear and tear yeah, and uh sure. so it's been fun i've been back here now for about a year nice. and uh you know you you come into a familiar place with an objective set of eyes yeah uh, so you're really able to kind of make some effective changes and get people excited about you yeah. know kind of uh I don't know, say a clean start, but just kind of sometimes, sometimes it's good to press the reset button. Yeah. If yeah, that makes sure. any sense. And I think that's probably one of the most badass doors I've ever seen. Yeah. I love it. I feel like you're walking into someone's actual wine cellar yeah. or dungeon or castle. Or, yeah, awesome. no, absolutely. It definitely has that feel to yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. But, um, but yeah, we're going to get into tons of your background and your story. And I mean, I mean, again, it's a, it's such a fun, I mean, just knowing enough, you know, of your story is really awesome and we're going to get in there. But before we get to, you know, really what's going on today. I want to get to know you just a little bit more way back. So the first question that I have for each one of my guests on the show is I want to know who cooked for you growing up and what kind of cook was he or she? All right. Well, that's kind of a, I'll give you two answers. So um, my mom obviously handled the primary, you know, my mom was a traditional housewife. um, And while, you know, 
I, there, I would never have anything bad to say about my mother and my upbringing because she doted on us like any typical obsessive compulsive Italian mother. But the one gene that got passed over was her cooking gene. So unfortunately, while my brother and I certainly didn't starve, we uh, we, we kind of grew up on an institution menu. Like you know, we ate chicken cutlets every Monday for eighteen years, and nice. uh, we looked forward to Fridays. That's when we went to uh, Frank's Pizza, and. Uh, we, you know, we would go in there and grab a couple of pies and a calzone. And um, and my parents actually, you know, as much as they really were not huge fans of my career choice to go into the restaurant business, I really have them to thank because as kids, they really did a lot to um, expose my brother and I to going out to eat. You know, I mean, it was definitely we were lucky. My, my father did well. And um, we were able to um, experience a lot of different types of dining, whether it was just a neighborhood diner. You know, I grew up on Long Island, New York. Yeah. Um, you know, so there'd be all kinds of diners and mom and pop joints, but then there would be some nicer places that they would bring us into. And so we were very fortunate to have those experiences. And getting back to the home front, my grandmother, who unfortunately passed when I was around, I think I was around 11 or 12 years old. She was an unbelievable cook. You know, she was that, you know, typical Italian grandmother. Um, with the apron on and, you know, peeling the onions in her hands, you know, there's always that debate between Italian grandmothers who just do stuff in their hands and French grandmothers who actually work on cutting boards and so (laughs) forth. Um, you know, so I will say, I have to give my mom credit. My my grandmother passed her down the red sauce recipe. So, uh, I remember being a kid, my mom would have the tomatoes in a Tupperware where she would drain the water off of them. And that was probably the extent of her cooking skills, but, but she did pretty good, you know, growing up it took me some time to realize that corn didn't come out of a can and mashed potatoes didn't come out of a box so yeah. uh you know I, I always tell people you know there's such an irony to me growing up because i grew up on long island new york which just you know it's new york it's electric you know and the dining that's around you is you know it's extraordinary um but it took me leaving new york going to charleston you know falling in love with food on a certain level and then as i went back to new york it was like going back with you know a totally fresh perspective and just being reinvigorated by all this great food that was around me my whole life yeah you know so uh it's a special place yeah and i was gonna say so you actually made your way down to charleston and you you attended at the citadel yep and went to the citadel yeah Yeah. and i did graduate everyone always has to ask me that question (laughs) funny question i like i love that in in whatever process you're you're filling out like an application for a job and like well did you graduate yeah like, like well just let me get to that. Like, yeah. of course well, I did. Well, people take a look at my uh, stunning physique, <laughs> and when they hear the word Citadel, it's, you know, I'm sure they, I'm sure they cast their doubts. But yeah, I finished, and yeah, it was crazy, you know, it was a crazy time. But uh, being in Charleston, again, it was, it was such a, an important part of my maturation process in terms of food. And a lot of it at the point, at that time was, it was really subconscious. You know, it was just absorbing life, so to speak. And then, as I started to kind of unearth my passion for food and cooking, you know, cause it, it almost kind of came accidental, you know, I mean, I really wasn't on a deliberate path to do this. My path in the restaurant business was almost more rebellious than anything else. But then all of a sudden you're like, wow, I really enjoy this. And, and I'm actually pretty good at it. You know, I, I'm not a religious person by any stretch of the imagination, but I feel like we're all gifted to do certain things. And, and I'm very fortunate that I, I discovered my passion to cook, you know, and 
ability to pair certain flavors. You know, I'm thankful I didn't go to culinary school because I never went into the kitchen with any preconceived preconceived notions of what flavors should pair well with one another. Yeah. You know, it was just like, hey, let's try this and see if it works. You know, at the end of the day, it's just food. Yeah. If it doesn't work, just start over. Yeah, and that's it's such a great education. You know, my, my mother, she never went to culinary school. And, you know, when you, I mean, I, I think it's great. I think culinary, culinary school definitely produces, you know, a product, you know, from student into professional. And, but when you learn kind of by, I mean, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, the punk rock way. And well, it's <laughs> the school of hard knocks. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly what it is. And it's trial and error. Yeah, and go um, by your gut. And you're also learning in a practical environment. You know, I, I, I get, um, I don't want to be too harsh on the culinary school experience because I've worked with some other students who have done, who've been really well, you know, they've taken their craft seriously and they've been passionate about it. Um, and they respected their education. You know, one of my dilemmas with culinary school is that because it's so costly, it's as if they train these students, um, they ingrain in their heads in some shape or form that they're going to come out of culinary school and be chefs sure. and they're not. Yeah. You have to be a cook, you know, like, and I think I'm most grateful that I never was able to fast forward that process. Yeah. You know, even we talk about earlier before we went on air, you know, I took a step backwards to come here back in 2002, it was to become the sous chef at Food 101, you know, yeah. because I knew the experience I was gain, would gain was going to be monumental, you yeah. know, but unfortunately, you know, there's not enough emphasis on that, that, you know, what. You know, it's it's like the old saying, or I don't know if it's an old saying or not, but, you know, what's easy in life? Nothing that's not worth doing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Know, so. Yeah. So, I mean, it, as, as far as, you know, producing the the type of passion that you really want someone to have, like it's, it's hard to find that. You yeah. Know, that's, like a, it's either in you or it's not, yeah, absolutely. you know, it's like, you know, obviously the unfortunate passing of Anthony Bourdain, you know, all of all of his quotes and stuff have been, um, you know, on, on social media and so forth. And I'm actually rereading kitchen confidential right now for like the fifth or sixth time. So good, Yeah. It's just hilarious, you know, and it's, it's like the last thing I do before I go to bed, just a little bit of mindless banter and, you know, um, you know, but I I think it was last night I got to the, to the part where, you know, either you, you either have character, you either have character or you don't, you know, skills can be taught. You know, sure. but the character and the passion, that's something that's just, it's either within you or it's not. Yeah. But man, what a great way to, to start your cooking career in, you know, of all places, Charleston. And, yeah. You know, so, but growing up in Long Island, so you attend Citadel, and this is where you actually start cooking is in Charleston. Yep. And then... Well, no, actually, I, I did a little, I dabbled in the restaurant business a bit in, in New York, you know, so mm-hmm. I'll, I'll go back a little bit further. So my father, as I mentioned, did pretty well, but he wasn't like a stockbroker on Wall Street. My dad owned his own plumbing business in New York. Um, my mom and dad were, you know, very blue collar upbringing, but hard workers, you know, incredible work ethic. And, you know, my father did well. Um, so at my, and my parents were very committed to the education for my brother and myself, you know, so we attended private school and, you know, we took school seriously. Um, but at the same time, you know, my father especially wanted us to appreciate work ethic. You know, my father was always very adamant about saying, you know, if you ever lost some kind of corporate level job, you know, you could always pick up a toolbox and feed your family. Like sure. that was one of his, that was one of his go-to mantras, you know? So yeah, that's a good one. I, I grew up working for my father and I actually really took a liking for, you know, obviously working alongside him and just, you know, learning this craft and dabbling with, you know, electrical work and as it pertained to plumbing and so forth and, Anyway, I remember um, we were actually out to dinner on a Sunday night, and uh, I told my parents I didn't want to go to college. I wanted to take over my dad's business. <laughs> and so my mom was not really 
excited about that. And so my ability to go work with my dad started to kind of lessen. And then um, ultimately wanting me to still kind of have this, you know, appreciation for a work ethic, they allowed me to get a restaurant job. And that was the, uh, that was what opened Pandora's box. Nice. You know, it was, I'll never forget it. It was a place called the Watermill Inn on Long Island. And it was predominantly um, a large catering facility, you know, tons of weddings and showers and other private events. But there was, a, there was a small a la carte restaurant as well. Um, so um, I was really at such a young age, all of a sudden exposed to this microcosm of the entire restaurant world, you know, and I'll, and I'll never forget, even though I was hired to be a bus boy and uh, a banquet server, essentially, I'll never forget walking into the kitchen for the first time and just being completely captivated by that tangible energy, you yeah. know, and that's what I've always loved about the kitchen. There's, it's a controlled chaos. Yeah. You know, and especially like in the, you know, the banquet, like event side of things, when you see food on that scale, something happens where you're just amazed of like, I, I remember the first time, like one of the, one of the jobs that I worked of just watching plate after plate after plate and everything looked the same. Yeah. And like, the, it was a dance, you know, it's like, yeah, you got, yeah. there's one person doing one thing and then someone else is following right behind. Oh them. yeah. Like, it's all it's, well orchestrated. It, it, it's, such a cool part of the industry you know and it's funny you mentioned that you know because um a lot of people always obviously are baffled that you know i went to the citadel and i ended up a chef and you know my citadel education served me well because um to me true harmony in a kitchen is a perfect balance between discipline and creativity you know if your dis if your kitchen is not structured well and not disciplined well and isn't able to perform on a consistent level, then your creativity is going to be stymied because you're just not going to be able to execute on the level in which you need to execute. Yeah, you know. So I really have always that's really kind of been the core of my philosophy as a chef. You know, is that you got to have that balance. There's got to be systems in place, and those systems kind of preserve the kitchen culture, if you will, and then the creativity is able to flourish. Yeah. You know, you're able to kind of go outside the box. You know, you're, you're kind of able to go out on a limb, so to speak, and work with different ideas and different ingredients because you have that disciplined structure that's really kind of holding everything together. Yeah, that's no, huge. But, you know, so you, you spend some time in Charleston. You're attending the Citadel. And yep. then, so do you actually go back up to New York after you graduate? I did. So when I was at the Citadel, even though it was against the rules, I used to work in some restaurants, like just literally bang <laughs> on the back door and, you know, work for cash. And I was kind of, I mean, I was, I was a unique uh, soul there for sure. I'm sure um, all that's forgiven by now. Yeah. And it was funny because I would just kind of like disappear, you know, like and my classmates, you were always kind of scratching our heads like you're doing what working in a restaurant, you know? And, uh, so yeah, so I decided to go back up to New York after graduation. I basically, you know, like typical student kind of ran out of money and didn't really know exactly what I wanted to pursue. And, um, I ended up going back up to New York and, you know, my parents were pretty, uh, I don't want to, you know, they were just, their expectation was, okay, you've graduated college. It's time to get that, you know, nine to five gig, get those health benefits and, you know, you know how it is, you know, oh, yeah. start the grind. Yeah, um, for sure. And I just could, I just wasn't ready to kind of commit to that. You know, I, I didn't really have a true calling at that point. I had certain things I was interested in. So I actually decided to um, go to graduate school. And so I was actually working on my master's in literature and um, 
I was able to get another restaurant job, you know, because I was able to use school as camouflage for my parents, you know, because right. I didn't want them to think I was just going to pursue a restaurant career. <laughs> and I actually took graduate school really seriously. It was a great time because my Citadel experience was, you know, um, the Citadel was hard. You know, there's really no other way to put it. It was it was not an easy experience. And to be honest with you, from an academic standpoint, I didn't do great because I've always had a hard time with authority. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, like and and I I maybe I don't even know. I mean, I know a portion of it, but is all of Citadel? Is it a military school? Oh yeah, it's a mili- hundred yeah, percent is military. The Military College of South Carolina. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So and you know, I didn't so much have a hard time with that lifestyle. You know. Um, but like I said, it was definitely a challenging road. And, um, you know, I would write an A paper, but, you know, I just unfortunately turn it in three days late, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, when I went to graduate school, I really did really, I, I really did well because um, it was basically like, all right, here's your, um, here's, uh, what do they call it, the syllabus and your course agenda. And you could basically turn everything in on the last day of the semester and you'll be good to go, you oh, know. Perfect. And it was funny. With all of that freedom, I find myself putting myself in a structure where I'm doing things in a timely fashion. And I'm really grateful, even though I didn't finish graduate school, which is definitely one of the regrets I have on my shoulders um, because I ended up choosing cooking. Um, You know, I was really grateful for that experience because it really um, allowed me to see what a great education I got at the Citadel. You know, I feel like at the Citadel, the English professor sat around a table and they were like, all right, somebody's got to give a B to Ron Eister so that we can pass him through here. Uh, this is going to serve us better to get him through. <laughs> Rather have him stick around and influence others for an extended period of time. Uh, I'm pretty certain that's what happened. Nice. So, and I don't know, um, one of my former professors, I don't know if you know the name, Dr. David Shields. He's Sounds at, very familiar. Yeah, yeah, he's actually been doing a ton of food writing for the past five or six years. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen him pop up on Facebook. I, I need to try to reach out to him. And, and, oh, man. Uh, yeah, he, so. He, he'd be so stoked. And it was crazy because <laughs> at the Citadel, he was definitely not your typical Citadel professor. Oh, I mean, for the most part, none of the English department was. Yeah. But, you know. He, you, were, you were kindred spirits. Yeah. You were meant so, to meet. But, yeah, yeah, so anyway, to cut a long story short, um, go to graduate school back up in New York. And um, that's where, you know, I really – I had that – I like to call it my epiphany. Um, I was working in a restaurant, and I was actually um, I was doing a little bit of work in the kitchen, but I was primarily working in the front of the house. And uh, you know, as uh, tradition would have it, uh, a disgruntled sous chef walked out on a Sunday night, and I ended up having to step in uh, to help out. And um, I just had that awakening, and it was like one of those nights where. It shouldn't have gone well for me, but it did, you know, like, <laughs> sure. and everything just fit into place. And uh, how candid can I get? Oh, very. Oh, so this was on Port Jeff, Long Island. So it's literally this restaurant for a ride on the water. Yeah. And so I remember going downstairs, you know, um, so it was great to you'd literally walk out the restaurant's back door and you're overlooking the Long Island sound. I mean, it's just, you know, very yeah. poetic. Yeah. Just, oh, yeah. And I remember sparking up a joint. And uh, saying, "All right, this is it. This is the road I'm getting ready to go down. Nice. You know, how am I going to make it happen?" Yeah. And that's when uh, I like to say the long, strange trip began. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you're definitely one of the people. And there, there's not many that you really have the chops to be front of the house with personality. And then, I mean, like the way that you're cutting the work in back of the house, like that's amazing. To I mean, like where you have the the experience where you were not always just like thrown into the kitchen, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so, well, you know, and I think, you know, and this could be, this could be another, you could have me on as maybe a monthly guest. I I, I think, um, the open kitchen 
is the, the whole concept of the open kitchen is, was the advent of the chef stepping out of that box and getting involved in the overall dining experience. Yeah. You know, that's where, because when the open kitchen came to be, that's when the ordinary people were able to peek inside and see what was going on there. But I don't want to go on a tangent, but yeah, to, to your point in this day and age, I don't think a chef can truly be a success. Like the, the concept of a chef solely standing in front of a stove and cooking all day. That's a myth. You know, some people may disagree with me, but today's age, the chef has to be able to cook. Um, the chef primarily has to be able to train and inspire people. And you've got to be able to establish and maintain consistency within your kitchen. Yeah. That's really the secret, if there is one. Um, but yeah, then having the versatility to be able to be in the front of the house and the versatility to be able to be a presence on social media. Let's yeah. face it. You know, I mean, you you really can't be a guy or a person who chooses to ignore social media. Sure. Uh, n- not in this industry because this is a very public forum. You know yeah. I mean? I used to a lot of times either compare or equate, you know, when I owned restaurants that I was a public servant. Mm-hmm. You know, it was almost, I almost felt like an elected official, especially yeah. in Morningside. Yeah. Where Morningside, the people in that, that neighborhood, they had like a, a seemingly vested interest in the restaurants, you know, yeah. like, and that was a, that was a slippery slope sometimes, but, yeah. um, nevertheless, it, it pushed you to do better. Yeah. But you know, I, I love that you touch on that because that, that's such an important part of the restaurant world that I think is lost on so many people is everybody has this idea of you're back there, you know, like pouring like, you know, wine and making reductions and there's yeah. fire and you got yeah. tweezers in your apron and like, <laughs> but that's what everybody thinks, yeah. you know? And like, no, but, it's, a myth. but it's, uh, it, it's, I'm, I'm just so glad that you say that because it's, it's, it's really hard to perpetuate that knowledge into someone where they only have one idea of what the title chef actually yeah, is. Yeah. Like when people walk in the restaurant, like, oh, you back there cooking my dinner tonight? Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. do I look like I'm back yeah. there cooking Once I get through all this paperwork. You know, yeah. uh, yeah, I mean, you have to be able to conduct the orchestra. You know, like that's, you know, a lot a lot of people, and I think people will make arguments for both sides. Um, I think this, again, this is very interesting substance to, to discuss further, but there are those people who are like, you know, the traditional chef who's got like a 50-seat restaurant that's only open for dinner five nights a week. And yeah, maybe he would have the ability and the opportunity to, to cook almost everything that goes out of the kitchen, but that's not a practical business model in today's restaurant world. Yeah. Whereas to me, what's truly rewarding is when I can invest enough time and effort and inspire somebody and maybe inspire is too strong of a word or a little bit too dramatic of a word. But when I can get somebody who's literally, who's a good employee, but they don't go home at night and read a Scoffier or even Bourdain, they just are working. They're, they have a solid work ethic. Um, but when they're able to interpret my ideas and duplicate or emulate my cooking style to where it tastes like I prepared it, that's the pinnacle to me of being a chef. Yeah. I love that. But yeah, that's like another podcast episode for us. Yeah. So we're gonna, I told you I could yeah. be a guest yeah, once a month. Say, we'll, we'll do it here in like the next, uh, next like couple of days or something. We'll just come back <laughs> and we'll do, we'll do the same thing again. But, um, but man, so we've gotten through like so much of your story already, but tell me where Atlanta makes its way into your life. Okay. That's a good question. So, um, 96, I graduated from the Citadel. 96 to about the end of 97, I'm between New York and Charleston. By 98, I'm back in Charleston full-time. I'm trying to figure out the cooking thing. Um, I'm a typical 
you know, I'm in my mid to late twenties. So I'm still, you know, got my head in my ass a little bit. You know, my work ethic is rock star. You know, yeah, I, sure. I always, my, my friends always commenting on my ability to be able to work. Um, so started dating a girl in Charleston and uh, she encouraged me to, to reply to this ad to become a sous chef at a place called the Green Boundary Club in Aiken, South Carolina. And this was pretty conservative French food, but it was nothing I'd never, you know, it was a, an environment that I really had never you know, a pool I've never dipped my toes in, let's say. And so I ended up getting the job and it was pretty cool. I lived in this bed and breakfast. Like it, it, it was definitely a fun time. And uh, then th- that environment ended up not suiting me too well because I went from Charleston where we were doing ridiculous high volume sure. to where I was working in this French club cooking for people who the average age was dead. And, you know, <laughs> we might have been doing we might have been doing 25 covers a night, oh, you know, yeah. so it was like going from one end of the spectrum to the other. I ended up making it about eight or nine months there, and and is actually the only job to this day I've ever been terminated from. Oh and, wow! Uh, yeah, and I was and I was terminated to a point where the general manager of the Green Boundary Club actually helped me secure employment in Augusta because I got fired right before the Masters. Ah, so everyone okay. in Augusta was clamoring for good help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I ended up getting a job at a place called Sweet Basil, which was in Surrey Center in Augusta. So now I'm in Augusta. Like nice. I literally just packed my bags. One of my former classmates from the Citadel lived in Augusta. So I had a place to come, you know, and he was, you know, it was great, opened the doors to me. And all of a sudden we were living together and um, worked at this place called Sweet Basil. And I literally started the Week of Masters. And so it was Whoa. nuts. Yeah. Talk <laughs> yeah. about volume, man. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. Um, and to me, I was like, wow, this place is busy. You know, like it didn't occur to me. I, to be quite honest with you, I mean, I might sound, I didn't really know what the Masters was. <laughs> you know, like I had no idea. I was still. <laughs> Sounds cool. You got to remember, like I was in the South, but I was at the Citadel. So I was basically imprisoned to a certain degree. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I fully hadn't been exposed to the South yet. So, um, sure. so anyway, so I go work Masters. And then I pretty much say to myself, okay, mark the calendar. I got to be out of Augusta by this time next year because this was ridiculous volume. And, and to be honest with you, you're, you're, just, you're just surviving. You're slapping food on a plate, you know? Yeah. Because really what convinced me of it was the following week was tumbleweeds. Yeah. And I remember cooks in the kitchen were like, oh, no, that's how it is now until next April. And I was like, oh, no way. I can't Whoa. do this. So. Another thing that really led me to Atlanta, to be very honest with you, do you know the name uh, Gary Many? I don't. Okay. Uh, he's a chef. I think he's still here in town because I actually just ran into him a couple weeks ago. But Gary was one of the chefs at Canoe. He was not the oh, yeah. opening chef, but he was at Canoe for a long time. And I was doing business with a company in Augusta that was out of Atlanta called Atlanta Foods International. So my sales rep used to come see me a couple times a month, and he was really passionate about food, and he kind of saw what was within me, my passion for it. And uh, so he would bring me, like, canoe menus. And this was before, like, you know, smartphones. And this was before even having um, 24 access to the Internet. Yeah. You know, like, I remember getting on the Internet and having to dial in. Oh, yeah. You know, like... I'm going to fax over a menu. Yeah. <laughs> I remember being at home, like, somebody calls the house phone and knocks you offline. You're you like, know, I like, was on Instant Messenger. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. So... Yeah, um, I remember those days. But anyway, so, you know, he was another pivotal point in my career where, you know, I was in Augusta. I was still in my mid to late 20s. 
Um, I knew I really wanted to take that next step. And so I said, hey, I got to get to a reputable city, you know, where where food is taken really seriously. And so I decided to come to Atlanta. And so another part of the story that probably no one knows, the first time I applied to work here at Food 101, I actually didn't get the job. And I was crushed. I was devastated. Um, Was it always in this location? Yeah. Yeah. This is the original Food 101. So this must have been late 99, early 2000. So I I applied. I I came here. I did a tasting. I did an interview. And I thought it went fantastic. And uh, (laughs) apparently it did not. (laughs) So um, I ended up making the move to Atlanta anyway. And I was like, you know, I'm going to make this. I'm going to figure this out. And so then... um, about a year into it in Atlanta, I crossed paths with Scott Crawford, who was the chef here at the time and who would become a partner and director of operations, who to this day I'm still you know, really tight with. And um, I ended up running into him, and he was like, hey, I'm looking for a sous chef again. You know, What do you think? And uh, we made it happen, and that's, that was really a crucial turning point was you know, getting in this environment. And um, you know, we did some extraordinary things with food here, and it was great because we did it in that whole neighborhood setting. And, you know, that's really where I hit my stride with what I wanted to do with food. You know, like, I'm not going to lie. I've always been enamored and very respectful of the, the fine dining world. But that just isn't my fit. That's not – I can't do that, you know, six, seven days a week. You sure. know, like – I can appreciate it enough to sit down and really be captivated by the experience and allow it to transcend me to somewhere else. Yeah. But it's not what I want to do every day. Yeah. Well, and you know that you think about the way that people want to eat, you know, I mean like that's, that's a, it's an experience, you know, it's something to celebrate, but the, Absolutely. Way, that, the way that people eat on a daily basis, like that's salt of the earth cooking, man. Like, yeah, you, you want the, you want some good familiarity, but with just enough elevation, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, I can imagine you know, being a food critic and having to eat like plated dishes, like or tasting menus, like five or six days a week. Like, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think not- you would uh, get desensitized <laughs> to it eventually. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, so, sure. um, but yeah, like, like you just said, the, the whole salt of the earth experience, like what I've always loved about what I did here at food One One and what I ultimately did at Rosebud in my places was, you know, we were able to take a neighborhood setting, a very kind of approachable and comfortable environment, and we were actually able to make it an experience for people. Yeah, you know, oh, like, 100%. You know, like people, I, I used to say, you know, like I think people were able to come in and kind of just forget about all the bullshit they were dealing with for an hour and a half. Yeah. It was all still waiting for them in the car and at home. But for an hour and a half, they were able to kind of really let it go yeah. and enjoy Simple food prepared well, you know, and and I think what we did here specifically at Food 101, because, you know, I know we, you know, part of our discussion today was going to hit a little bit on sustainable food and supporting local and so forth. Yeah. Food 101 was instrumental in getting this movement started in Atlanta, Um, you know, and it, it probably wasn't always on everyone's radar, but back in the day when Georgia, it was called Georgia Grown. Mm-hmm. That that was the organization. And we used to get a fax <laughs> with what was available. Yeah. And um, there was only a handful of chefs on that distribution list. And, you know, you had folks like, you know, uh, Chef Gunnar Seeger, 
you know, who was at the time, this was before, this was before he had his own place. This is when he was still at the Ritz. Mm -hmm. Um, and obviously the folks from Bacchanalia, Mm -hmm. um, and then all of a sudden, there was like, you know, Food 101 was on this list, you know. And we were a prime example of a neighborhood restaurant with very approachable pricing. And we were able to bring some of these superior quality ingredients into our house and work with them in a way where it didn't elevate the dish by $10, $15. You know, we were still, you know, I mean, 18 years ago, I remember one of the things we were most proud of, I think we had two items on the whole menu that was above $20. Wow. Think about that. That's, you know? Yeah. That's, uh, that's not the If you're really thing. hungry, you can't even eat a Chick-fil-A for $20 these days. That'd be really you know? tough. Like you, yeah. you can drop $20 at Chick-fil-A pretty easily. Yeah. You <laughs> yes. really can. It, not, it doesn't even have to be a family of four. Yeah. You know, so anyway, so that was, you know, I always tell people, you know, like, again, everything happens for a reason. You know, I landed here and... Um, and it was just the perfect fit, you know? Yeah. And and there were, at the time, you know, Food 101, which would become 101 Concepts, you know, there was only one other restaurant in the company. So this was a special place because all of the owners were able to work here on a daily basis. And the energy that was within this restaurant was really very special. Yeah. And and tell me about, like, the point in your career. So you're working at Food 101. And, I mean, you already mentioned it, but, you know, you you had several concepts in Atlanta, you know, and I mean, yeah, so well, we're, Food 101 was the schooling. And then, you know, did you know Rosebud was a Food 101? I didn't actually. Okay. So, yeah. So yeah. 2004 comes around and we take over the space in Morningside and we make oh, it a Food okay. 101. So I didn't know that that's where the, the second Food 101 actually was. Yep. So that's how I ended up. Yeah. That's how I ended up in that neck of the woods. And so I was down there as the chef. And at that point, I became a partner. Um in that in that unit and um that was my baby you know like that was the natural evolution um in my career and so our food 101 experience in morningside was very up and down you know because some people in the immediate neighborhood looked at us like a chain ah, yeah. you know and then as they got to know us people let their guard down a little bit and they really came to appreciate what we were doing there and um but again it, it was an up and down experience and so in 2008, um, myself and other chefs in one-on-one concepts cooked at the Beard House. And that was another one of those, you know, your bucket list surreal experiences in, in cooking. Right. And so I remember coming out of the Beard House and we were all, we were at, um, after dinner, we were all over at Momofuku. And uh, we were eating Bosom. You know, and uh, it was awesome. And it was just a real gregarious environment. It was a, we did a Christmas dinner at the Beard House. So it was awesome. And it was snowing in New York City. And, oh, that's magic. And a lot of us are from New York. So it was really special for all of us. And, um, I remember, you know, being outside and, and I remember thinking to myself, hey, you know, I'm ready to take the next step. And so one of the other former owners of 101 Concepts, I I approached him and said, hey, I think I want to buy Food 101. You know, and he, he kind of laughed at me, you know, because uh, he knew what I was making. <laughs> you know, right. I mean, he understood where I was financially, but I was like, no, I think I'm ready to make this move. You know, I see a lot of untapped potential in what we're doing at that space. And, um, you know, if I can make it happen, are you guys open to that? And, uh, and the guys were great. You know, they really mentored me through the process of buying Food 101 um, and then turning it into Rosebud. And that was, you know, 
Rosebud, then we did the Family Dog, and then we did Timonies, and then we did Diner. And yeah. <laughs> and that, that's so. just so cool. I, I had no idea. I mean, I remember reading that there was a Food 101 yeah. in, in Morningside. I didn't realize it. Yeah, so we were there time. from actually 04 to 08, and at the end of 08, I bought it, rebranded it as Rosebud. Gotcha. Because yeah. I, I moved to Atlanta in 2013, 2012, 2013. Yeah. So that, I just knew Rosebud. Like, that's just the place that we took everybody for brunch, man. Yeah. Like, that's just where we went. So. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but that's, man, so you, so you're working like, so, and well, and also like one-on-one concepts. I mean, like there's a few other like restaurants like under the umbrella. Oh yeah. We have Meehan's Public House. Yeah. Which I'm certain like people are super familiar with and like yeah. they don't always know like the parent company. No. And they need to. And that's, that's the phase of the career I'm in now that I'm back home. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I'm, I'm kind of addressing those, uh. The, the attention to detail that we need to kind of yeah. refine the operation here at one on one concerts. But yeah, I actually helped open the first Me Hands and Vinings. Nice. And uh, my apartment was actually literally across the street from it. Hey, so, perfect. and then we have um, 101 Steak, which is also in Vinings now. And ironically, 101 Steak is in my old apartment. What? <laughs> so, oh yeah. You know, uh, so like I just have this strange closeness to so many of our that's restaurants. Incredible, but yeah. Man. And then we have a barbecue place down yeah. in Castleberry Hill, Smoke Ring. You yeah. know, and Jordan Wakefield is the chef and partner and, there. And, and Aaron, his wife, is yep. involved in the business. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, they're great over there. They yeah. just have such great energy. It's great barbecue as well. But, um, but man, so you, so you actually, so you take over Food 101, you open Rosebud. But like I wanted to talk just a little bit about, you know, some of the other concepts. Cause I mean, like, I mean, again, like brunch at Rosebud. Rosebud, that was a great, I mean, it was always a great experience. Yeah. And then like Family Dog, like that was just like the burger and beer place. And like it, at this point, like we're living in Candler Park. So if we were really like, you know, we had the gusto to get out and do it, we would just walk from Candler Park. All yeah. The morning. That's so, a lot of gusto. Brother. Yeah. And like, <laughs> and, and, and that's before like you were really confident in getting an Uber. Yeah. You were just kind of like, uh, you know what? We were just going to walk for a long while. It was like, we'll just, we'll, we'll, we'll like replace the calories. But yeah. Uh, but then like Timoni's was like. I love that. I know. And that was actually the first place that I ever had a clam pie. Yeah. And I was hooked, man. I was like, this, people need to know about this more, man. Yeah, no. It's, you know, I always say, if I ever have an opportunity to bring back one concept, it would be Timoni's. You know, because Timoni's got shortchanged, you know, and I'll I'll be very transparent with you, you know. Um, You know, Atlantic Station Project Diner, you know, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. It was just, you know, that's a whole, that's a podcast series right there. Sure. <laughs> so, Talk about your monthly episode with yes, us, right? <laughs> but lesson learned for future restaurateurs, chefs, um, you never, ever sign the lease for your fourth restaurant until your third one is completely open. You know, so basically what, what I'm getting at is that we had simultaneously, simultaneous build-outs. And so we were trying to get, and, and that happened accidentally, you know, because the, the diner project just couldn't push back and there were just so many obstacles to overcome. All of a sudden, we find ourselves building two restaurants at the same time and, you know, capital got tight and, you know, having a project undercapitalized is a really, a very real scenario. Yeah. And so, and to be quite honest with you, we made some initial mistakes with Timoni's. You know, I listened to some other folks who were like, hey, you're going to have multiple places now. You need to find a chef for this place and empower them, give them some ownership. And I did that. And to, and I stepped away. And I shouldn't have. You know, I, I should have, I hate to say it, I mean, I should have micromanaged that a little bit more. Um yeah. Because, you know, unfortunately, we had some issues with that chef and we ended up parting ways. And then when we were able to kind of when I was able to wrap my hands around the kitchen again a little bit tighter, 
you know, we actually, and I think that's when you were exposed to it. Yeah. Um, we really were doing great things down there. It was awesome. You know, it really yeah. were. And it's, 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 it sucks that, you know, we didn't get the opportunity to really bring it to fruition when we really kind of minorly reconcepted it and, and incorporated that whole deli and retail part. Yeah. That was a home run. You know, we just, you also have to train the neighborhood you're in. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's, that's a hard part. And so, and it's funny because now you look at a lot of these places and, and I keep telling the, the owners here at 101 Concepts, like we got to figure out a way to get our hands in the grab and go retail side of things. Cause that's how people want their food these days. And I'm so glad you mentioned that. Cause that, that was just like the, the part of Timoni's that, that really just kind of, it was the X factor, you know, like it yeah. kind of like spoke out. I was like, this is a place that we're going to go get like a, a kick ass clam yeah. pie. And then you could get a pint of, pasta salad and a yeah. roll of toilet paper to go home with. right you know like that's <laughs> it was but it was just like this is it's it, it i can't explain it to you we just have to go yeah no you i know? you know so flatter to you know that you got it you know like because oh, the build out yeah. was awesome was the magic. space oh, was yeah. cool magic, and magic man was um, so cool i love the like the wallpaper oh man. yeah oh it's just it was fun yeah it was and it was fun. just well thought out and it was fun you know like you said it, it was fun to build it it was well it wasn't fun paying for it but it was fun <laughs> to build it but you know what we wanted to do too like with that whole deli and retail concept again going back to my new york upbringing was like hey i don't want to really open up like a boutique like kind of retail spot i want it to be more like a bodega yeah you know so like yeah you could get toilet paper you know like think about it because in morningside there were so many people who live in that immediate area like where else are you going to go to get maybe a couple of little odds and ends for the house you'd have to get in the car and go all the way to Publix on ponce or yeah kroger on Briarcliff. so we really you know we, we had the right idea we just you know we ran out of time we ran out of money you know and uh but who knows? You know that I still have all. I still have the blueprints. Yeah, <laughs> you never for, know. <laughs> for you know? sure. And Timoni's, honestly, no one could ever pronounce the name either. Everyone called it Timones. I, I love that I was in the know, and I actually knew. It's like, dude, throw the e on there. Like, you, yeah. you're gonna sound like a pro. And I, I felt, I felt lucky that I got to educate. Well, that some was people, my but. that was my mother's maiden name, my grandmother's, but the one who could cook. That was her last name. Yeah. So the restaurant was inspired, and honestly, the restaurant was. Um, my my father had passed away from pancreatic cancer. And so I wanted, you know, I grew up in New York and most of my cooking had really been focused on local Southern cooking. And I'm, you know, Charleston had a huge impact on my style of cooking and it always will, you know, but I had never really done anything to really kind of pay tribute to my upbringing, you know? So that's where this, that whole concept came from. And yeah, when, when we were doing it right, it was awesome. And yeah. yeah, that clam pie was sick. Oh, dude, it was so great. But everything, man, like I just, you know, thank you for all oh. of those all of those meals, chef. The thank you very much. Um, we actually just rolled over 40. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm keep good. talking. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. No one's banged on the door. Yeah, yeah. So. Someone opened the door, but they just look confused. Yeah, we're so. good. All right, good, good. Um, but uh, but you know like I I, I want to tell me a little bit more of like the timeline. So, I mean, you've got, you know, Rosebud, Family Dog, Timonies, and Diner, and then everything kind of just comes to like a crazy <laughs> Goes in a shitter. But, but, at this, but also at this point, like it, it, as this is all going on, is this when you're also on Top Chef? Yeah. Yeah. It was a crazy, yeah. And then you could throw in this also when I got sober. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, you know, I think people would come into Family Dog and Rosebud, and you know, it, it was like you know, you remember. I mean, it was busy. Oh, you know, so always, yes. Always busy. Yeah. So the you know, the, the perception is is that you're killing it. You know, like people don't realize you're bleeding because you're trying to get the third project really going in the positive direction, and the fourth project is just 
a total clusterfuck. <laughs> you yeah. Know? So, um, so yeah. So basically, you know, we we decided to sell Family Dog and Rosebud because those places had value. You know, we were able to to spare some of the damage. You know, it was it was heart wrenching. You know, honestly, to to it's crazy because I, I remember a point in my life. You know. F- I guess three, four years, well, a little more than four years ago, I had spent almost 11 years in that building. You know, you never think it's going to end. You know, like I remember walking, and and I also, another interest, I also got divorced. (laughs) So I went through the perfect storm in an 18-month time frame. You know, like. That's that's more than. What do they say? Go big or go home. You know, I mean, it was was intense, you know, but it was eye-opening and, um, I'm, you know, I can't lie. I mean, I made mistakes along the way. Um, getting sober was the best thing I could have done. Um, but, you know, I remember walking up the stairs to my apartment, you know, after going through divorce and not seeing my kids every day. I mean, going through this such turmoil and it's the initial days and months of sobriety. And I could always remember saying, well, I'll never lose Rosebud. You know, like I'll always have that. Yeah. You know, like you, that's just what I thought, you know, and not that I took it for granted. It's cause I love, you know, cause I'm not going to lie. I mean, the experience gets, I mean, it gets burdensome, you know, but I honestly, I could sit here in front of you right now and say there wasn't one day, not one day that I didn't unlock the doors of Rosebud and under, you know, and just continue to be in love with that aspect of my life that I opened up those doors and on most mornings I could smell a chicken stock coming from the kitchen, you know, and being one or the second person in the building and being able to embrace that tranquility of what people don't see, you know, with the bar stools up and, you know, it's, yeah. it's a completely different yeah. part of the restaurant world. It's, it's a fun that, time that, to be in there. It's yeah. that solitude, you know, and, yeah. and almost listen to the restaurant space breathe, you know, like, I never took that for granted, and I'm really grateful. And I think because of that, when all the shit did hit the fan, I was able to make peace with it, you know? And, yeah, so we did Top Chef, you know? And, and that was one of those things like, uh, should I have done that? <laughs> you know? Like, um, probably not, but I did. You know, like, again, you can't undo it. Um, you know? And I was sitting from my seat, like, watching every episode. And, again, like, if there is ever anything, like, an Atlanta chef or just someone I'm always like rah, rah, like fist pumping, like, yeah, dude, yeah. like, like that's hometown, man. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I just thought it was badass. I was like, heck yeah, dude. It like, was a good experience. You know, it was a good experience because, um, you're the talent and the help at the same time. You know, if that makes any sense, like without the chefs, they can't do top chef, Yeah, you know, but at the same time, it's like herding cats for something. So every now and then you get treated like shit. Like, and you have what they call a PA, a production assistant assigned to you, or she might have a couple of chefs like or him under their direct supervision. And, you know, they're telling you to shut the fuck up. And then five minutes later, like, hey, can I get you a coffee or an espresso or anything? You know, well, it's, like, <laughs> it's hilarious. You know, like, oh, man. the irony is just hilarious. But. Um, you know, honestly, in the end of the day, Top Chef is just a game show that you cook on. You know, um, 
but but it was it was a cool experience. I mean, definitely grateful for the relationships, um, especially meeting somebody like Katsuji Tanabe. You know, yeah. that guy is <laughs> like if there was any part of the experience that was worth it, meeting him was it. You I was know, but say, he's he's still someone that like when I think of Top Chef, like he's probably the first or second person that I always remember from that show. Oh yeah, he's great. He's a great such guy, a and he's such guy. a sincere part. You know, like yeah, I hate it that I don't get to talk to him as frequently as I once did, but um. You know, I, I still follow everybody on social media, and we'll, we 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 frequently will exchange messages or comments. So That's cool, man! Yeah, it was definitely you know um, I did it, you know, and um, you know it's just one one part of the puzzle, you know. So, but yeah, when I got back from Top Chef, um, that was really when everything kind of spiraled out of control, and um, you know I decided to get sober, and then all of a sudden I had to go back and shoot the finale for Top Chef. Oh man! So that was, and it was so funny because when initially when I was on Top Chef, you know I was the I was the old wise man. You know I was older than most people there, and it was cool behind the scenes to be able to rap with the chefs and people. You know the budding chefs who were going to open up their own places and take their questions and just chat with them a little bit. And yeah, but at the same time, you know I was the rager, the partying. You know I mean we had some fun, and then all of a sudden six weeks later I go back to shoot the finale and I'm sober. You know and and everybody's like. Uh, you good, Ron? You know, like, you're not, you know, like, and I wasn't ready to say I was getting sober then. I was just kind of on the wagon, you know, like I just wasn't drinking. Um, you know, so that was definitely a challenging time, but I, I confided with a few of the chefs and we were chatting and they were like, yeah, it's a great thing. You, you know, you got to do what's best for you physically yeah. and mentally. And, you know, for my kids and, and I'm very grateful that I'm coming up on four years of sobriety next week. Good so. for you, chef. Yeah. That's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Well, sobriety man. is like the new black in the restaurant industry. Yeah. It's, it's very popular. It's, <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it's just the sign of a generation getting older that, you know, I think back on some of the antics and yeah. The craziness, it's, you know, yeah. there, there, there's a good chance I should not be sitting here directly chatting with you yeah, right now. But hey, man, that's that's huge. I mean, what a great move. So yeah, congrats. it's good. And, congrats. you know, I don't do the t- typical AA track. You know, I'm kind of like everything else in my life. I've marched to the beat of my own drum. But uh, I take it very seriously. And, uh, you know, I think now the capacity that I'm at in the restaurant world I try to keep an eye on some other younger folks and, you know, not that you're going to judge them, but say, Hey, you know, if you're not careful, you can end up being like me. But what an amazing, I mean, to have you as a mentor and reeling someone back in of like, look, like this can chew you up. This is not as good as you think it is. Right. And it can chew you up and spit you out. But I mean, you, you've always struck me, you know I mean? And I've always seen this in you just in, in your, in your leadership and just how you run a business and you, and you really inspire and run your team. Um, you've always been a really grounded individual and I, I, I'm Thank just, you. it's so cool to hear such, uh, I mean, such a tale, you know, and oh, it's and, a tale. And I'll make for a good book one day. Oh, I, I was going to say, man, like <laughs> I can't wait to read it. And like, and the crazy thing is, I mean, we're like, you know, almost 50 minutes into this conversation. And there's still so much to, to get through and like, but, um, but I just, I mean, I think that's, yeah, that's I think the whole grounded thing again, I think some of it goes back to, well, definitely goes back to my upbringing, you know, seeing that whole blue collar, that's what I grew up with, and not just with my family, but my extended family and cousins, and uh, you know, appreciating that work ethic and that level of authenticity. Yeah. Um, even though I was very well provided for growing up, I, d- I didn't want for anything, um, but I still saw where it came from, and I saw how much work it took to get it. And then, you know, being a chef operator, you know, um, I I always wanted to be in the trenches. 
you know, like I, I really always wanted to work in the restaurants, you know, like, you know, you hear about the chefs who want to be off every Sunday and Monday, you know, like <laughs> I've been doing this 23 years and I still haven't gotten that schedule yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I wanted to be at brunch, you know, like you're, you know, yeah. uh, if I had a nickel for every time someone's like, oh my God, brunch at Rosebud, I, I'd probably be able to reopen. Right. Yeah. You know, and yeah. uh, sometimes it'd get me frustrated because I'd be like, hey, we did did a pretty kick-ass dinner too, you know, but yeah. brunch was our thing. I mean, yeah. no doubt it was our thing, you know, and again, that was one of the opportunities that I saw in the segment of dining in Atlanta. I was like, hey, listen, if we got to be here on Sunday, let's figure out a way to make this fun and interesting, Yeah, you know, and Honestly, when we were Food 101 Morningside was really when we kind of cut our teeth with that. And I'll be very candid with you. It's because I had the run of the place. You know, I was a quote unquote partner, you know, but the owners who were like, you know, the father figures, you know, they weren't around on Sundays. Yeah. So I was able to do what I wanted, you know, so. I was like, um, what do you think if we play Thriller during brunch today? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, that's really how it started. It was just so just kind of such an agrarian type ev- evolution. And I was like, hey, listen, we're not doing brunch for the people who went to church. We're doing brunch for the people who haven't been home on Saturday night yet. And that was the energy that filled Rosebud. I mean, there was nothing more rewarding, Ben, than being, when I had Family Dog and Rosebud both open, and I'd be working brunch on a Sunday at Rosebud, and I would see a girl sitting by herself at a bar, at the bar at Rosebud, literally just eating brunch and enjoying it just for the simplest thing of being brunch. Oh, yeah. And she's wearing the dress that I saw her in the night before at the Family Dog. You know, And I'd walk up there, and I'd be like... You're a fucking rock star. Yeah. Brunch is on us today. I, I, but I think, you know, I mean, again, like we can probably do like 25 minutes just talking about brunch at Rosebud. But like there's plenty of places that you go to brunch in Atlanta because it's cool. Like that's just like it's known as like the yeah. brunch spot. But Rosebud was the brunch spot because the brunch was fucking amazing well thank you well and one of the reasons it was and i'll and i'll give you a lesson on this too and you can reference anthony bourdain he talks about this in kitchen confidential brunch at a lot of restaurants isn't good for several reasons the first reason is that most restaurants only do brunch on sunday so it's hard to get good at something that you can't practice and get repetition on right yeah that's the most common sense part second part you got the chef is normally off and the sous chef is probably hung over um, you know, so there's a lack of precision there on a Sunday or there very well could be, you know, so my premise was, all right, I'm going to be here for, I have to be here for brunch. I have no choice because I'm, I'm also helping manage the restaurant. Um, and I've got pretty much all the freedom, you know, like I've, again, one of my, I guess my genes is I love breakfast food, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, again, going back to my mom's cooking, that wasn't exactly great. When she made breakfast for dinner, that was thumb, two thumbs up for yeah. me and my brother. I mean, <laughs> you can't really fuck up breakfast yeah. too bad. Yeah. You know, so um, I've always had an affection for breakfast food. And so I think, you know, I kind of, I was very enthusiastic about doing brunch. I never had a problem with it. In fact, I started brunch here, much to the dismay of a lot of people that I worked with, you know, but um, it's always been my thing, you know, and so... Um, yeah, I mean, we got good at it. You know, we took it seriously um, because we had fun with it, you know? Um, and we were very fortunate. Like, again, what's that saying? Like, capturing lightning in a bottle, you yeah. know? Like, we were in a great space in a great neighborhood. And um, I, I feel like Rosebud really turned a corner right when 
Atlanta's affection for brunch was kind of getting at that all-time height. Yeah. You know, like everybody had to go eat brunch. I mean, yeah. and you know, yeah, we had some great things on the menu. You know how many like attractive young girls in their mid-20s I would see wait for two hours just to sit down and eat a side of toast and scrambled eggs? Yeah. So they could be like, I went and had brunch at Rosebud today. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, you didn't, yeah. sister. And you just, had eggs and a side of toast. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> and to me, I was just like, you're, you're doing it wrong. You know, I was like, this is actually the best place to actually come and eat, like, the brunch meal. Oh yeah, like, it was decadent. Don't just do it because it's cool. Like eat because the food's great. Yeah, and I'll, I'll I will wholeheartedly admit, you know, like, and if you look at my menus now, I mean, I've turned a corner a little bit. I'm getting more, you know, open to the idea of cooking healthy, and <laughs> you know, I, th- I think Kevin Gillespie used to affectionately call it because he used to eat brunch a lot at Rosebud. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was really friendly with Kevin back on the wood fire days because yeah, yeah. fire was closed on Sunday, yeah. and literally three quarters of their staff would come eat brunch every Sunday at Rosebud. Nice. You know, so it was awesome to have that kind of, you know, that it, it was, it's always really flattering when industry people come and eat at your place, yeah, especially on a routine basis. Yeah. That's, that's definitely a benchmark, yeah. you know, so, um, but he used to call it a uh, fat boy cuisine, Nice, you know, yeah. he uses that hashtag a lot. <laughs> yeah, he does. Uh, what is it? Fat kid food or yeah. fat kid problems? Is yeah. Another yeah. One. <laughs> fat boy cuisine is how he used to affectionately term the food we were uh, doing. And we did, you know I mean? It was like, Hey, let's take this pancake. And you know, did you ever have the ultimate pancake? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Like who comes up with the idea of stuffing a pancake with scrambled egg, bacon and sausage, you amazing. know? But what we try to do is take some of those, like, you know, another, another, uh, you know, description of my food would be like Donorish, you know, and um, I just thought it was smart. Yeah, you know, but we used to take some of those like brash kind of stoner fat boy ideas and we would bring a little bit of finesse to it. Yeah. You know, like we would take that ultimate pancake and trim it up to where it looked kind of cool and different. Yeah. You know, but in the end of the day, it was just a fucking pancake stuff with scrambled egg, sausage, and bacon. Yeah. And it used to crack me up when people were like, can I get cheese in that? Like, really? You need cheese? Like, with all the shit that's in there, <laughs> you need cheese? Come on. <laughs> no substitutions. So, <laughs> but, but yeah but man like it's uh i i, I just think it's fun i mean I, I love that we get to sit and have this conversation about you know what what was the the work at hand you know when you had four different concepts at one time it was uh chaotic it was you know i'm not i mean and honestly i mean you get to a point where it, it becomes a burden you know and you, you find yourself you're not having as much fun as you thought you signed up for um and you know, it's hard to stay that positive cheerleader when people know things are kind of going south, you know, yeah. and, and I, and, uh, and to this day, you know, I, I think about some of the hardship I caused other people. I mean, you know, now that I'm back with one-on-one concepts, you know, uh, I'm now the, the director of operations for one-on-one concepts and I'm primarily here at food one-on-one right now, but you know, I've got my, my, my hands in some other parts of the company and so forth. And, you know, this is a long-term plan for me to, you know, my resurrection, if you will. And, and, and like we talked about earlier, life comes full circle and this whole homecoming and, and it's been fantastic, you know, and it's been fantastic cause it's been really real. It hasn't been, you know, every day hasn't been awesome. You know, there are some really, there are some real challenges that we're trying to get beyond, but there's an inherent level of trust with all the people that I work with, you know, and there's that family environment that it makes coming to work fulfilling every day or comforting on a certain level. Um, And I needed that, you know, like that was something that I got here initially. I took it to the next level with my places and now I'm back here, hopefully kind of 
having the torch passed in my hand and trying to, you know, I, I tell people too, like, you know, some of the other media stuff that I've done, because let's face it, I, I fell off the radar for good reason, and I wasn't exactly excited to get back on it, you know, like, I, I took a lot of interviews and other, you know, and it is what it is, but, um, you know, I tell people, like, you know, five five to seven years ago, you know, I wanted to be the front man, you know, like, I wanted to be Steven Tyler, you know, like, I wanted to be the rock star, you know, yeah. now I just want to be a really good drummer, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and, and I want to help develop that next rock star, you know, like, I don't have any regrets for what I did, I had a lot of fun, I mean, I had a blast, and I feel like I got to kind of grow up when Atlanta was experiencing its most exciting period of growth, you know, like, I'm excited to know that, you know, I knew Ford Fry back when he was just the chef at JCT. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of people don't know that. Yeah. You know, I yeah. knew Kevin Rathman when he worked at Nava. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Know, I don't so, even know what Nava is. But yeah. Man, Nava that's... was a, do you know, so Nava was a Buckhead Life Group restaurant that is in the space that is, what is um, the Fort Fry restaurant that? Oh, uh, St. Cecilia. No, no, no. no that was one. Blue Point. Oh, yeah. Uh, E.J. Hodgkins is the chef. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. I always forget that. Yeah. The Hearth and Stone one. Or, yeah. Uh, yeah. But anyway. I'll reach out to E.J. on Instagram. Anyway, that's um, <laughs> that was Nava. Nice. So, yeah, so. You know, one thing I like about Atlanta, too, is, like, all the different civic events that are always driven by the food scene, you yeah. know, like, but I got to be honest with you, it gets exhausting. Yeah. You know, like, I've always had a hard time saying no. <laughs> like, if anyone ever said, like, what's one of your regrets or one of your flaws, that is by far my biggest flaw. It's I have a hard time saying no to anything, you know, including yeah. drugs and alcohol back in the day, you know, like, yeah. Uh, you know, like, hey, can you do this event for me? Hey, can you know? So, like, honestly, a lot of my demise was caused by simply overextending myself. Mm. You know, like, I should have. I mean, North American Properties, the, the the previous owners of Atlantic Station. I mean, they came at me several times about doing diner. You know, like, I should have said no. Yeah. You know, but I didn't. And I can't undo it now. Yeah. You know? But your your story is one that, I mean, honestly, like, I feel so honored to to know as much as I do and have, you know, known you for, you know, just a few years now. I mean, yeah. Since, you know, probably back to, like, 2013, 2014. But, you know, just to, to, to say that Atlanta without Ron Eister, it wouldn't be the same Atlanta. Oh, well, I, I really and, appreciate and, and you And that's not that. me just like pandering and like, I mean, honestly, man, like your your career has has helped shape like quite a bit of what it means to be an eater in this city. Oh, no, and, I appreciate that. You know, yeah, no, I feel like I gave a lot to the food scene and um, my career is far from over. You know, we'll see what this next chapter is like. You know, yeah. I mean, like I said, I mean, am I going to be the, you know, the advocate you know, for eating local and I'm always going to support it, especially in my personal life. You know, I mean, I live in Kennesaw and we just got a whole foods there about six months ago. And you know, that's like the best thing that's happened to me up there since I've lived there, you know? So, um, but are you going to see me cooking at all these different events? You know, probably not. You know, those, those days are probably, you know, a bit behind me. I mean, every now and again, it doesn't mean I don't appreciate the Atlanta dining scene or want to continue to contribute to it. But yeah, no, I appreciate you recognizing that because it, it is a lot of hard work people don't realize what it's like to you know run a restaurant and then pack up your car and go cook at a charity event or go cook in someone's yeah. house and you know again like i think the aspect of what i miss the most at rose but besides the neighborhood in general um because it was a great neighborhood was that the morningside farmers market yeah you know and honestly i've been to the market a few times since rosebud is no longer and it is a different vibe you sure. know i feel like rosebud 
yeah. really helped elevate that market. Yeah, it was backbone. No yeah, doubt. you yeah, know, no and uh, so grateful to have been a part of that experience and to have been on the board for the market. And um, it was unbelievable, you know. And and again, you you look at Morningside Market, and now you look at all the markets that have blown up in years since that market. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's amazing. You know, the growth of the food scene in Atlanta has been tremendous. And yeah. uh, I hope our best days are ahead of us. I'm a little, you know... W- People used to say to me, like, because when we took over Food 101 as we were transitioning into Rosebud was when we went through our last pretty pretty severe recession. Mm-hmm. And we were fortunate, you know, Rosebud, we took off. You know, like, we just, again, we hit that sweet spot between our transition and kind of rebranding. And um, I also think we were putting out quality product. And I think, unfortunately, you know, not to exploit people's misfortune but you know the restaurant business is kind of like having kids just because you can doesn't mean you should you know like not everyone should own a restaurant you know um and there are some bad restaurants out there you know it's just a reality and i think what happened during that part of the economy is that the the lost restaurant purged itself you know and you lost restaurants you know and you probably lost a few restaurants that ended up making the landscape a little bit better, a little bit cleaner, you know, and I, I hate to point that out, but it's a reality, you know, and, and who knows, people could be thinking the same thing about my places closing, you know, I mean, who knows, you know, but I hope we don't end up there again, you know, because yeah. right now Atlanta's a little scary. Um, there's too many restaurants here and not enough people to work at them. Mm. You know, that's that's the next, I, feel, I don't want to say crisis, but, uh, you know, Again, I, you know, I know, as you think about subjects for your podcast, you know, I mean, the millennial generation is definitely throwing a wrench in mm. the restaurant, in the traditional settings of the restaurant industry. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a fact, yeah. you know, and how is dining going to be impacted by that? That's why, you know, when we, again, like the Timonis thing, having the grab and go in the retail part, that was part of that thinking, you know, yeah. and that's, I'm, you know, I've been talking to the guys here at 101. I mean, it's definitely an area that we're giving a lot of serious thought to is, you know, think about it. You know, I mean, I'm sure. And I saw this in our email about the whole angry chef thing. That, mm-hmm. that should be a whole nother podcast too. But yeah. We'll do that. I'm we'll, gonna, yeah. I'm booked with you for like the next yeah, couple yeah, we're months. Good, man. But you know, I used to get a lot of shit about not letting people alter the menu. You know, the whole idea of special orders, you know, like, and you know, I used to get a bad rap a little bit, but you know, uh, you're in a restaurant. Like, you're surrounded by other people. I'm sorry that I cannot be more apologetic or sincere that we're going to let you stop the train in its tracks and compromise the dining experience of the other 100 people that are around you just because you want this a certain way. You know, who's the selfish asshole here? It's not me. (laughs) Um, You know, like, again, at brunch, I mean, everybody wants to build their own omelet. Right. You know, we finally broke down at brunch at Rosebud. We did this towards the end. I don't think this got the exposure it probably deserved. <laughs> but I finally put a build your own omelet on the menu at Rosebud. You know how much it was? No. It was $25. Nice. And Good I had a little you. note on the bottom that said, how bad do you want it? Yeah. Now, if you're willing to pay $25 for your own omelet, then I will make it to the best of my ability. Yeah, you, I, ne- I never got it. You I'd... get what you pay for. Yeah. But um, here's my thing with, you know, the whole retail and the grab and go stuff. People want to have, you know, I think right now it's exciting that people know as much about food and are as interested in food as they are. It's it's a pretty exciting time. Again, it's also scary because it's, I used to, you know, again, going back to the Yelp stuff, you know, like 
the bloggers and food critics. You know, like I remember saying years and years ago, this is probably going back eight, nine years. You know, I have a computer and I have access to the internet, so I'm I'm a blogger now. Right. <laughs> you know, like the criteria for being able to post your opinion, like you don't have to have a license to post shit on the internet. Mm-hmm. You know, so now the whole idea that I want to build my own meal, like I kind of want to take that chef, I want to be empowered by the chef experience and control my own destiny. You know, there's really no getting away from it. So maybe the best option for us as chefs and restaurateurs is why don't we present our food components in the most simplest form and let people put their meals together as if they're an erector set. Yeah. You know, who knows? I mean, there could be something to that, Yeah, you know, but we're definitely, you know, I don't want to say going to an uncertain time, but it's always interesting and there's never, never a dull moment. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, I mean, one thing I want to touch on just a little bit more here, you know, just talking about your story, you know, starting at Food 101 and then talk about like the homecoming, you know, thing that we've mentioned a few times now, but like to come back to, to Food 101, like how, how was it back in like the early 2000s and what's the restaurant like today? Um, that's a great question. Um, you know, it's definitely like coming home. You know, there are elements of it that you just never forget. There are some elements that are unchanged. Um, honestly, like when I left here, like so back in the day, Food 101 was doing the very approachable American comfort food. And, you know, Food 101 opened up right around Thanksgiving of 99. And then, obviously, you remember in 2001, the country went through 9-11. And when you think about 9-11 and how that kind of turmoil affected food, you know, it made people gravitate more towards comfort food. And I started at Food 101 shortly shortly thereafter, literally within a month or two after 9-11. And we were doing fried chicken pot roast, lamb shanks, pot pies. And the restaurant was already still kind of in a honeymoon stage, you know, because back in the day, there wasn't tons of stuff in this area, you know? Um, So now all of a sudden people are kind of going through this nostalgic kind of time and comfort food is becoming more increasingly popular. So we were really, really busy here, you know? And, I loved being able to take very simple, approachable American cooking and put a sense, you know, put a sense of finesse to it, you know, work with superior quality ingredients and really take it to another level. You know, one of our marketing, one of our marketing tags back in the day was if your mom cooked this good, you'd never move out. You know, like that, that was kind of our approach to food. And, um, after I left, Justin Keith, who was the chef here for 12 to, I think, maybe almost 14 years, he was a line cook here when I was here, and a good friend of mine to this day. His cooking style was um, much more Southern. So Food 101 really, over the years, took a very Southern direction. And, um, you know, again, not knowing exactly your food, your knowledge of the Atlanta dining landscape, for a minute... Atlanta didn't have a lot of southern restaurants no, that were 100%. good. You know, yeah. I mean, honestly, the, the you know, I want to say Amer- Empire State South was kind of the 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 advent of the Uber Southern restaurant, you know? Um and then we talked about earlier about Stephen Satterfield's place. Um and then, you know, you've got um Cakes and Ale. Yeah. Um just phenomenal restaurants. And honestly, Rosebud definitely fell into that. We definitely got pretty Southern. So um, when I came back here, you know, I was like, hey, you know, does Atlanta really need another 
uber southern restaurant you know like what if we considered kind of going back a little bit to our original formula you know and and going a little bit more to the straightforward american cooking and you know so that's kind of what we've been doing for the past year you know and it's not like we've gone back and just duplicated what we did 15 years ago I mean, that hasn't been the case at all um but we definitely have taken things to a little bit more mainstream, approachable American. And, you know, the irony is like, you know, we were always, you know, meatloaf is still on our menu. You know, mm-hmm. it's a signature dish. And meatloaf, you know, many people would think meatloaf is the epitome of comfort food, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but, you know, we now have a rice bowl on the menu. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think about how comfort food has changed over the past decade. Sure. Especially here in Atlanta as our international influence just increases, you know, in, you know, our, our, um, our infatuation for international flavors just grows by the day. You know, think about Buford Highway, you yeah. know. Um, but anyway, so comfort food now with Food 101 is it's slightly different. You know, we're trying to be more cognizant of eating healthier. Um, eating lighter, you know, it's definitely an important part of what we're thinking. And personally, you know, the way I think about menu development here, um, I want to see Food 101 kind of become the modern American diner. You know, we're we're hoping to get um, open for full breakfast service in the next maybe hopefully three to six months. Nice. Um, you know, brunch here is you know I'm not going to lie, we definitely have taken some plays out of the Rosebud playbook and. Um, you know, having fun with it, you know, still doing stuff that's unique to here and, you know, trying to foster that energy, just have a good time with it. And and that's definitely, we've had some success with that. And so that will hopefully kind of naturally evolve into where people want to come in for breakfast. But I know when we do breakfast, you know, we'll have to have some grab and go options and stuff like that. I'm just enamored, you know, I want to, you know, like I went through a phase where I was like, you know, I'm ready just to consult or I'm ready to move in a different direction, you know, but I'm my own worst enemy, you know, like I love, you know, like I no longer do drugs or drink, but I'll never be able to give up my addiction for the restaurant business, you know, the, the energy and, you know, is my patience for dealing with the staff not what it used to be? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Fuck. I'm an old crusty fuck now. You know, I'm 44 <laughs> years old, and you know, like, I'm not gonna lie. I have a hard time communicating with millennials at times. You sure. know, but again, I open the door here a lot of mornings. And is it the same as Rosebud? No, it's not. But this was this is like my grandmother's house, if that makes sense. Sure. You know, like Rosebud was my baby. You know, like I felt a connection to that space from the minute I opened the door before Food One before One on One Concepts even had a lease on the space. You know, I remember that day. Yeah. I'll never forget it. Um, so here is like coming back to my grandmother's house. I like that. You know, like it really is. I mean, yeah. it's probably the most solid analogy I can make. You know, um, I spent more time ultimately in Morningside, but it was always fun to come back on this side. And you know, a few years back, I came back for the Ghost of Chefs past dinner and cooked and. Yeah, so yeah, you know, it, again, life is full circle. Yeah. You know, like everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Well, I and, hope well, I hope you don't slow down, man. I'm, I don't want to see you in a consulting role just yet. You, no, no, I'm I'm back here now for the long term good. and that's you good. know, I I I see a big picture and uh yeah. you know, I, I went through I also love doing like food inspired events. Yeah. And uh, next one we do, we're, we're actually doing Smoke a Peach, which is an event that we came up with last yeah. year. We're doing it at Smoke Ring in September. So we'll definitely get you down there. Nice. And let's, you know, you know, A, just come have some fun and, um, you know, maybe we could do a podcast of who knows. We'll yeah. figure something out. And then I do an event called Mother Clucker, which I actually started at Rosebud. We used to do it in the parking lot. And I've, I've done six of them. And so last year I, I worked 
very closely with Springer Mountain. We did one here in Atlanta, and we also did one in Chattanooga. And um, so I really wanted to kind of go in that direction. But honestly, like, it's hard to make that business plan work. You know, got to have cash. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Got to have an income year-round. So one of my reasons for coming back to 101 Concepts was – they were very, you know, they were cool with the idea of me still exploring the ideas of these events. And 101 gives me the resources to be able to do it, you know. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think the one other key thing I know we'll probably have to sh- shut it down here soon, but um, I think when you're a young chef, you know, ego is a part of it. And, and you need ego. You, you really, you can't go through this whole process without having a certain level of an ego. You just have to learn how to manage it. Um, and I think, you know, part of your ego early on is that you want to come up with the ideas yourself. You want to be the one to initially execute them. And then as you get older and you really start to see things um, from a different perspective, your appreciation for a collaboration is all of a sudden where the light bulb really goes on. Yeah. You know, and so, again, I'm excited to be back you know, because when I was consulting, I mean, it does get a little lonely, you know, like, so now I'm back, you know, I'm in a restaurant group that's got, you know, we probably have just over 100 employees, yeah. if not more than that, you know. That's cool. And 101 is really, we need to kind of get more affirmed on the radar because um, sometimes I don't think we get the notoriety we may deserve. You know, these guys have been around a long time. Yeah. You know, they've done a lot in the food scene here in Atlanta. And what I love is that now that, you know, we have seven restaurants but I can walk into any restaurant and chances are there's going to be somebody who I worked with in the past, you know, whether it was here, whether they worked at the original Meehan's and Binings, you know, this, this company has done a remarkable job of retaining employees, yeah, you know, and, and awesome. they taught me how to do it. Yeah. You know, I mean, we've got some employees that have been with us for, you know, well over 10, 12. We got, I mean, we have a cook that's been with us for almost 20 years. That's insane. Yeah. That's awesome. That's unheard of. Yeah. But man, I I just again such a huge honor just to oh, sit well, and just I mean just have the conversation and just hear your story and like knowing you know I mean again like so many things that we talked through and then just learning new ones and having you back at Food One Hundred One is I mean that's just it's exciting man. Oh, well, so thank you. I yeah. Uh, yeah thank you, Chef. I All right, well let's you probably getting hungry. You've been listening to me run my yeah. mouth for over an hour, so <laughs> we'll get you something to eat. So. <laughs> but hey, man, thanks again for yeah. being on the show. I appreciate it. Absolutely, chef. thank you. Yeah. Many thanks go out to my good friend, Chef Ron Eister, for being on this show. And you can catch Chef at Food 101 in Sandy Springs, leading the team there and playing all of the hits throughout brunch, lunch, dinner, and even Sunday supper. And also check out the other 101 Concept locations at 101concepts.com. I highly recommend the barbecue from Smoke Ring in Castleberry Hill if you have not been there yet. And also don't be surprised if you hear Chef Ron on the show again in the very near future. But until next time, I cannot wait to bring you guys more stories from local chefs, culinary entrepreneurs, and people who are making this city the greatest for eaters. I'm your host, Ben Getz. Thanks again for listening to the Atlanta Foodcast.